you may remember that we actually talked about this book back when we reviewed Wicked and the Wallflower, because in that book, Felicity was a lockpick and she would talk to her lockpicks like they like she was deflowering them. And that's exactly what Sebastian does in this book. <laughs> so if you're interested to hear what that sounds like, check out that review. I actually quote at length from this book there. Hello and welcome to Plotcris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Dangerous by Amanda Quick. This is a standalone novel that was published in 1993. And if you're wondering why we're going back a few decades um, to read one of Meg's favorite authors, it's because we really wanted to stay Halloween themed. Uh, and she remembered that this one has a ghost hunter in it. So we were like, well, let's do some ghost hunters. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a ghost hunter book. We're doing another later on in the week. So you'll get two versions of the ghost hunter trope. <laughs> let's go to the jacket. <laughs> From a magnificent ballroom ablaze with lights to an imposing country house steeped in shadows comes a breathtaking tale of an impetuous myth and a passion that leads to peril. At five and twenty, Prudence Merriweather knew very well the risks a woman took by visiting a gentleman in the dead of night. But bearding the notorious Earl of Angelstone in his den was the only way to stop him from engaging her hot-headed brother in a duel. And that was why she found herself ushered into Sebastian's forbidding presence at three in the morning and thoroughly kissed before dawn. She was a country-bred innocent and an intriguing experience for a man who dwelt more in the shadows than in the sunshine. Yet as her boldness drew Prue into one dangerous episode after another, Sebastian found himself torn between a raging hunger to possess her and a driving need to protect her and the reckless beauty would soon need all the protection she could get. I've never seen bearding used that way before. Oh, no? If you beard beard him in his den, beard the lion in his den. That threw me off. Um, I, I think they're is... trying to go for, like, the most archaic language that they can find for this jacket. So it's very weird because the first two paragraphs are literally chapter one. Yeah. Like, they don't go into anything at all about the actual plot of the book. And then the third paragraph isn't really plot-related at all. The third paragraph is just dumb, in my opinion. This doesn't get in the fact that she's a ghost hunter and he's a detective. Yeah. The actual heart of this book is not even sort of alluded to. I think it's, it's sort of a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity, but I also think this is basically like a 1993 historical romance. You know? Yeah. Anyway. Random number. We generated a random number of 38, and then we wrote our own summaries using that number. Uh, take it away, Lane. While investigating ghosts, Prue instead uncovers diamonds and family secrets. Her curious streak leads her to disrupt Sebastian's duel with her brother, his investigation, and his reclusive ways. They team up to spoil a sex ring slash investment scheme. I mean, yours definitely gets to their characters a little more. And the whole plot. And also the plot. Yeah. Really? What yeah. Was yours? Okay, here, here I go. 
it's important to connect with your partner on an intellectual level. This book investigates whether the intellectual qualities of a ghost hunter and those of an amateur detective are similar enough to form the basis of a relationship. Yep. Also, I did a good job with saying it investigates it, right? You did. I liked the double entendre. I was going for that. <laughs> I also liked that you referenced um, what they did. Yes. In the summary. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this book. let's be honest. When you pick up a romance novel, I feel like that's what you want. You want to know what they do, how they relate to each other, and then like any major tropes, yes. you know? So yes. you want to know amateur detective, uh, she's a ghost hunter, and then marriage of convenience or, right. or fake engagement. or what, it was, It's fake engagement. That's what it is in this book. So, you know. I mean, sort of. Sort of, yeah. I mean, it's. I would call what I put in the tropes and what I would call this book is compromised. Yes. <laughs> they are forced to get engaged because they are compromised. Whether they actually intend to get married, follow that engagement is a point of debate within the plot. But ultimately, what you can't argue with is they are compromised into getting engaged. Yes. Uh, what are some of the other tropes? So. He is an aristocrat with an interesting hobby. We both alluded to that in our summaries. He also is an aristocrat. He's a man with a traumatic past. Yes, and uh, his traumatic past relates to the fact that he is a sad, tragic orphan, but she is as well. They're both sad, tragic orphans, yeah. This is something we see all the time. I think it's an easy way to give a character anguish in their past, mm -hmm. potentially issues that they need to work through. Mm -hmm. And frankly, when parents are alive, you expect to read about a relationship with them, whether it's good or bad. And the easiest way to avoid having to write that is to kill them. Yeah. Well, and I think also for our male characters in historical romance, most of the time their dad is dead because we want them to be Title. A titled, a titled nobleman. So he's he's an earl. Yeah, there's the rare exception where they uh, they have one of the lesser titles, while their father hold like courtesy titles, while the father holds the main title. Yeah. But that's yeah. pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, and then she's got one of my favorite tropes is the the doofus younger brother. Yeah. So she and her brother are not of the city or gentry life. Right. And following the passing of their parents, they're taking in by, taken in by a wealthy friend for a London season. And her younger brother immediately takes to making an ass of himself. <laughs> I mean, and then it's it reminds me of um, Lord of Scoundrels. It's not her brother, but it's I think it's her cousin, Bertie, who's just, you know, total doofus. Mm. What can I say? It's just such a it's such a great character to have because. First of all, it gives you a heroine who's really smart. Um, but also, it just gives you some comic relief. I always enjoy the doofus character. And it gets, there's a very specific plot point that ties into this in this book. And we will talk about it at length later because it is hilarious. Like maybe the best part of the book, honestly. No question, honestly. <laughs> but so she's, the, the extension of that is their, their upbringing outside of city life. I mean, she is a country bred innocent. Right. As it as it states in the book jacket. Yeah. 
Uh, and then part of his background, so we've got this family feud, excuse me, he is a sad, tragic orphan, but uh, he has family, but he doesn't talk to his family because there's a past, there's a past, and you know, anyway, feuding, intra-family intra feud, not, int not two different families feuding. Yes, his mother was considered unsuitable by the rest of the family. Yeah. And so the family cut their them off. And then when he became titled, it was a huge scandal within the family. Yeah, exactly. They were like, we thought you were a bastard. We thought you never... Basically, they... This is not even... This is not a spoiler because it it's the whole... Everyone... He's very intriguing. Everyone knows this about him. Basically... His father ran away with his mother, who was an actress, and nobody knew that they actually got married until the old Earl died. And then I guess Sebastian pulled up his parents' marriage lines and was like, actually, uh, the title is mine. Which is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So his whole family was sad and disappointed when he got the title over his cousin. Yes. Who had been, he and his cousin and his aunt had been anticipating that the cousin would get the title. Yeah. So one of the central conflicts between the two main characters, because there really isn't much of one. She's an investigator of paranormal activity. He's an investigator of murder and stuff. And they, you know, team up relatively quickly and are attracted to each other are pretty much on the same page regarding the investigations. Like, for the most part, there's some, like, little bits of conflict. So the only real conflict between within themselves is, does the other person have feel as strongly for me as I feel for them? He thinks mm -hmm. love is a silly reason to get married, and she really wants him to love her, and then she he, she real, he realizes that her love is very important to him, and it's a whole lot of them both processing how much they care about love without talking to one another. Yeah. It's very dull. It's very dull. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, I want to be like, look, this is the reason why when you get compromised and then you have to get married, it doesn't lead to really an open communication in your relationship, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so there's that small, small factor. The other thing is she's, for all that she was like country bred and an innocent, she did have a brief flirtation with a local aristocrat in the prior year. But in spite of his, him expressing his intention to marry her to her, he then went off and married a woman with money and jilted her, basically. Yes, which leads to one of my favorite tropes, which is the the taking revenge basically just because you now are in a relationship with a hotter, more alpha guy. Yeah, like she didn't intend to take revenge, but he looks pretty pathetic standing next to Sebastian. He can't, is it? Is this the one where he can't handle his horse, like his, the stallion? Oh. No. <laughs> that must be a different quick. <laughs> <laughs> which, which leads me to my first observation, that this is, this is a very Amanda Quick novel. Um, in my opinion, in that, yes, the hero has to live up to the heroine's high expectations of him. Mm -hmm. Why does she have high expectations? I'm not really sure. She just is in love with him and is convinced that he's a great guy. And then on his part, he 
wants her to love him. And so he feels obligated in some sense to live up to her opinion of him, mm-hmm. which I guess I am a sucker for because that's a pretty constant fact in all Amanda Quick novels. And I kind of love it. Yeah, and in this book, it manifests by her pushing him to have a better relationship with his relations. Yes. So I say it's a very Amanda Quick novel. I will say it's, I would put it in the mediocre category of Amanda Quick. I didn't think it was like amazing, but it does have a lot of things that I really enjoy and reasons why I still read her 30 years later. This one had some potential. Ultimately, the stuff that made the book interesting, the investigation, the ghost hunting, some interesting tertiary characters, that stuff disappears after about a third of the way into the book. Mm -hmm. And then it just ends up being about the relationship between the two of them, which frankly isn't that unique or interesting. No, yeah. Um, So I think that's kind of the main issue here is that, and then of course the resolution to the mystery that does persist is horrific. A little squicky, yeah. And offensive. So for me, this one ultimately falls into the pretty forgettable category. Like I see where it could have been good, but it just didn't quite get there. Yeah. I mean, basically the, the highlight of this book is in the first three or four chapters, like not even kidding. Mm-hmm. That's the highlight of this book. So it's so good. It's really fun. It's really fun. Basically, she goes to a ball. She meets him there. They have a great time talking, basically. They talk. They dance. Um, he's like the They don't waltz in a fondle. It's very appropriate. Yeah, it's not a waltz in a fondle, sadly. It's, it's just talking in the ballroom. Uh, yep. But because he has a bad reputation... Her brother challenges him to a duel. Just for dance, like for behaving politely with her. Yeah. Because he doesn't normally dance with well-bred young women. And so she goes, the reason she goes to his house as the jacket, so the jacket says she goes to his house at three in the morning. She does. She goes in. She meets with him and is like, look, my brother is a doofus and I really would appreciate it if you wouldn't duel with him. Kill him. Kill him. Basically. I would like my brother to still be alive at dawn. I know you will kill him. My brother, I don't know if he's ever actually fired a gun in the vicinity of a person. (laughs) You have a reputation for dueling. Also, why do you want to waste your time with this child? And she does a great job of arguing out of it and basically using logic to to convince him not to go mm-hmm. for it, which I also really like, too, because it's it just does show their compatibility. And I mean, right. this, this first chapter is like really stellar, honestly. No, it's great. And so basically he agrees because she convinces him not to duel her brother. And so the way that you end a duel after one has already been agreed to and it's accepted is you apologize. So Sebastian very publicly apologizes to Prue's brother 
for the insults he has done to the family by courting Prue. But he doesn't stop talking to Prue after that. So the brother has to keep issuing dual challenges. And then Sebastian has to keep apologizing. But it ends up basically making a mockery of the brother because everyone knows Sebastian could shellac him if he wanted to. Yeah. So it just ends up being this these very public scenes of declaring duels and apologies meaninglessly. <laughs> It's so friggin' funny. It's really funny. And it's just, it, it, it works so well. It's so tropey, but it works so well. Because Sebastian, of course, is like the most alpha man. He's like the alpha male of British society, apparently, you know? <laughs> and her poor brother is just a doofus, you know? Yep. So that works out, and then she has to, like, ask him, like, hey, I know I told you not to kill my brother, but could you maybe stop embarrassing him? And he's like, nope, your options are dead or embarrassed. He's like, well, and also he's like, well, do you want to stop talking to me at balls? And she's like, well, no, not really. He's like, then you just, you still have those two options. Those are the only two options you have. (laughs) Right. So obviously she's very interested in him, so she's very attuned to him. So she notices that all these balls they're going to, he keeps sneaking out of the room. So one time she follows him. And finds out he is investigating his own thing. And she's suspicious of why. But they get interrupted. And that's when they get compromised. And it's even the compromise scene is really funny. It's so funny. I love it so much. I'm not going to give it away, guys, in case you want to pick the book up. The only thing wrong with it is that they aren't actually hooking up in it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we wouldn't have minded if they were about to kiss or maybe were kissing and then what happened happened that that would have i think you're right that's the only way that it could have been improved on but then it's all kind of standard from there from there yeah from there yeah i agree um there i mean there are some other things that i like so i i really like that he's attracted to her because she wants to protect him and not because she's looking for a protector. So, of yeah. course, like I said, he is the alpha male of British society. So he's all about protecting her. But I think he likes that she doesn't expect it. Right. And def- I, I think sh- he's definitely interested in the, the fact that she views him as a sympathetic character in society. When pretty much everyone else views him as the villain. Yeah. That she's willing to see him as, like, a more complex person without, essentially, justification amuses him. And I also think, you know, she is supposed to be the original of this season. You know, she's the weirdo from out of town who's making her debut super late. And I I think the fact that she's so interesting to everyone, but is kind of just amusing to everyone else. He yeah. sort of views her sympathetically in the same way. Like, she's not just a parlor trick. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting because I do think she has a very consistent character in Sebastian. Because he acts the same way with his friend, Gareth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one thing. That's another thing I really like about this book that is slightly unique to Quicks. Is that Sebastian's got, a like, a bestie. He's got, like, a best friend. And I like that a lot. And it, it's... It's not just Amanda Quick. It's in a lot of books that there are no male, no examples of male friendship, really. I mean, I'm thinking of everything. I'm, everything I think I'm thinking of is more modern. Yeah. I can think of a lot of Tessa Dares, a lot of Sarah McLean's, a lot of 
Courtney Milan's. Yeah. Yeah. With male friends. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm thinking of like, and a lot of times if you have male friends, it's because they're your, your family. And that's it. Um, so like, for example, uh, the, uh, Stephanie Lawrence, the only buddy they have is Giles Chillingsworth and it's because he's exactly like them. But that said, there are enough sisters that additional side characters might not have added much. That's true. I don't know. Maybe it's just an Amanda Quick thing, but a lot of times in her books, her, her male characters are very solitary, very lone wolves. And in this one, Sebastian does have lone wolf tendencies, but he's got a he's got a bestie and they're like they're friends and they do things together. And I like it. <laughs> what can I say? It's touching. That's really nice. But the reason that he's friends with him is because when he came in society and everyone thought he was a bastard, Gareth was the only guy who hung out was with nice him. nice to him anyway, basically. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of similar with Prue, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I also really like that she is really not into fashion, but he is. Of course, he's not a dandy, which, whatever. I, I would love to read about a dandy. and I've read a few dandies, and I, like, really enjoy it. Uh, Miss Wonderful, anyone? Right? Yes. So good. <laughs> so good. And you're like, who, like, it's totally fine for a man to care about clothes. And Sebastian cares about clothes. Yes. And, and I think to a degree with him, it's, he picks and chooses where he wants to follow societal convention. Mm-hmm. He's obviously untraditional in several ways, not just his parentage, but his chosen hobby. That I think for him, clothes and being immaculately dressed in a timeless way yeah not in a fashionable way is like him fitting in in this very narrow way while bucking convention and several others so I think it's very fitting for his character yeah oh I agree I think it's very fitting for his character I he kind of likes that she's not into fashion because you know it makes her original but then I don't like it when it veers into, I like that she's not into fashion because it hides her body and other men can't see her, which is, it it definitely crosses that line here. It does. It does. But then she goes shopping later with the reunited family and she's going to be impeccably turned out. And then I also like that she has a fat friend. So so I finished uh this last night. Who? It's her, you know, the one who brought her into society, who he's telling her she should wear purple. Lady, what's her name? Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think what I like about it is that it's it's mentioned. She's described as being fat, and then that's it. She's not, like, fat but funny. It's not a descriptor all the time. I don't know. Maybe some people, maybe people would say, well, that's just ignoring it. That's, you know, that's blind casting for a fat person. But honestly for 1993 I kind of appreciated it I mean clearly it's the kind of thing that you can miss because I did yeah well they talked about it a lot not a lot but they talked about it when she was trying to get her to wear clothes and stuff and Mm -hmm. like 
wear the purple. <laughs> Basically, her her also her friend has no idea what's fashionable and what's not. No, <laughs> so, that was painful. It was pretty painful, but also kind of funny. So there were some downsides to this book, and we got into the way that he basically wanted to control her dress to make her less appealing to other men. But there's more than that. He's also controlling in other ways. So mm-hmm. they, after they become engaged, which she thinks is a fake engagement, and from the beginning he means as a real engagement. Uh, so once they become engaged, she's like, well, the cool thing about being engaged is that we can help each other out with our investigations. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, totally. Except he literally thinks, like, in his head, he's like, yeah, right. I'm going to be helping out with hers. But she's not going to be helping out with mine. And I don't know if this is to give him credit or what. Like, his point isn't that he wants to hide anything from her. Like, he is very open to talking about his investigations with her in a very open and honest way. He doesn't want her endangering herself by coming to anything that requires hands-on activities. Yeah. And she basically has to muscle her way in. Obviously, it's still sexist and chauvinistic, but it's slightly better than the, I'm going to take over her investigations and tell her nothing about mine. He is very willing to, like, have her mentally work through the problems with him. He just doesn't want her to go anywhere. Yeah. Now, I have this under dislike, but... It's more of a trope. It's more of a trope, and I I think this is probably something that I really liked the first time I read this book. <laughs> and then when I reread it this time, I was like, oh, God, you know? Yeah, so she mistakes a proposal for a breakup. Yeah. That said, any reasonable person would. Yes. Any normal person would think that that they're breaking it because he says the way he says it is we can't continue this like we can't continue on like this. We have to end this engagement. (laughs) I mean, how do you describe? I mean, what is that? That's a breakup. But then he's like, no, I mean, we end it in marriage. (laughs) And she's like, okay. He's like, okay, I guess fine, we can get married. Uh, one of the, things, the thing is, there's no real conflict in it. No. No, there's no conflict, which, which is a thumbs up. And the, another thing I actually kind of like about Amanda Quick 90s standalones is that very often the wedding is just glossed over. Yeah. Like in this one, he's like, we're going to get married. And she's like, okay. And then it was like a week later, she came out of her townhouse. Where she was now, the Countess of Angelstone, you know? Yep. Which I don't hate. Clearly, I would have loved a wedding and a wedding night, but I do appreciate breaking up the genre a little. Yeah. Like, I can only read that exact same series of circumstances so many times. Mm-hmm. So if you want to cut out pages and give me more interesting stuff that happens further after the wedding, I'm totally down. Okay, and then there's something else that we disliked, but it it verges into offensive slash content warning. So let's go ahead and start that section of the podcast. It's also a huge spoiler. Huge spoiler. So if you want to read this book, look, if this is a very standard 90s Amanda Quick standalone, if you like them, you probably will enjoy this book. That said, there is slightly more Slightly more. Uh-huh. There's there's a lot of sexual violence in this book. Right. So 
it turns out that Prue and Sebastian are put on essentially the same case. Mm -hmm. So Sebastian is asked by his Scotland Yard contact to investigate these two apparently accidental slash suicide deaths that have happened within the aristocracy, the first of which at Curling Castle involving Lord Curling or whatever. And so they're able to identify these four men who hung out together, who were at the castle like seven, ten years ago or something, when it's clear a girl died. And her death is a mystery. So after the first two of these four men die, the third calls Pruin because he thinks it's a, the ghost of the girl who died that night haunting them. And he wants Prue to look and investigate it from a paranormal capacity. It's revealed that these four men basically bought local lower class women to use for sport. And this one in particular managed to escape her bindings during the gang rape and throw herself out a window. And then those four men were also involved in a shipping investment venture. And the reason the people are being murdered is actually to do with that, not with the dead girl. But the dead girl is being used as a cover-up so that they can frame the dead girl's aristocratic lover, who is, plot twist, Sebastian's cousin, who he doesn't speak to. I'm going to be completely honest. If you took out the whole gang rape part, the mystery wasn't too bad. No, you, but the gang rape part is also the motivation for his cousin being involved. Like, right, right. No, I know. Yeah, you'd have to come up with some other thing. You'd have to come up with some other thing. I agree. And it's but definitely... It, but she should have. I can't stress enough how unnecessary the gang rape plot was. Completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. Did not need it. It was awful. And it was not only pretty graphically described, but all of the men involved were completely unapologetic and continued to brag about it. Yeah. And, like, that was viewed as abhorrent by our main characters, but was also really not necessary. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's too much. It's too much. It didn't have to be there. Uh, it added pretty much nothing to the plot. It was, and it was too graphic. It was too graphic. I agree. And the other thing that, like, it was literally introduced, it was alluded to through the text, but the explicit description and, like, the answer to how it ties into why these people are dying is revealed in, like, the last 30 pages. Mm-hmm. Like, overall, this book is a pretty fluffy, like, his and hers detective agency book with a paranormal twist. Yes. And then suddenly in the last 30 pages, it gets really dark. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Anyway, so trigger warning. So yeah, FYI guys, um, that's in there. Uh, sexiness. Quick. Yeah, it's it's Amanda Quick level sexiness. You get like three scenes. 
the first one is the sexiest and also the funniest, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's during one of her ghost hunting cases and they get interrupted by maybe a ghost. <laughs> so I, I I still find that one very very funny <laughs> and then the rest of them are like very um, standard I feel like <laughs> yeah but like but fun but fun no like I say standard but that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's bad guys like I basically again Amanda Quick is one of my faves I love her for a reason and one of those reasons is are her sex scenes are really like enjoyable they're really fun yes and I do think especially in this case they were a necessary counterpoint to the conflict between the two characters and in their investigations because mm-hmm. like for better or for worse like we said there isn't actually a whole lot of tension between the two main characters they're forced to get engaged pretty early. and But Sebastian is already, like, awesome. Like, Sebastian has already, I think, decided that he wants to, to marry her right. anyway. So he's like, great. But <laughs> no so, like, there's no, they're not seeking around. They're sort of societally allowed to be alone together as an engaged couple. Yeah. And I mean, it's already assumed that that's what they were doing as they snuck off to a bedroom to, to get it on. Right. So there's not a whole lot of interpersonal like them building in like their desire to be together their desire to care for each other because it's pretty much instant sparks up like immediate engagement they get married halfway through the book Mm -hmm. so the conflict really comes from their decisions about how they want to handle their investigative careers yeah and like we said that's kind of full of a lot of misogyny and ickiness And so the contrast with the light, fluffy sex scenes, those actually are where they sort of get to know each other as romantic partners. And as people like the sex scenes are where they work together, how they want to be together. Yeah. And so I think it's they were actually more plot centric than in other Amanda Quicks I've read. Or I shouldn't say more plot centric, more central to the plot. More central to the plot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's I, honestly, I some somebody asked me why I liked Amanda Quick because her books can be a bit formulaic. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I I think what I really like is that the conflict the conflict is never a big misunderstanding and it's never a major conflict between our two leads. It usually mm-hmm. comes from outside the relationship and they're working together to solve something or do something. And really, the only question is. Am I going to say I love him? You know? (laughs) This is that to a T. I think the other Amanda Quicks we've read had a little bit more distracting from Mm -hmm. that formula. Maybe, yeah. Mistress has a little bit more conflict. But not like between them, though. No, but there's more legitimate external conflict. Yes. I mean, look, Mistress is my favorite of all time, so... (laughs) <laughs> of course it's more legitimate it's like the best <laughs> this, like this one honestly I'm gonna remember the first third of this and about two months I probably won't remember the end yeah I mean and then the first two thirds they're, they're really the only parts that are worth remembering so so it, it's light it's fluffy I don't regret reading it at all I don't know if you're gonna read Amanda Quick there's probably better places to start mistress maybe <laughs> maybe 
<laughs> but if you really like Amanda Quirk, this is worth reading. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the podcast, please please rate, review, and subscribe.